Good morning, good morning, Rebbe Utai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class learning for this week is dedicated by the Torah Center Diamond Donors, Orly and Yisachar, Avichai, Amit, Alma, and David, Hakmun, Daniel, in loving memory of Chai Hakmun. Also, Breakfast in the Class is dedicated by Daphne and Jake Mancher in loving memory of Lunishmat, Ephraim, and Asher, and Sultanat, Alei Mashalom. For the Refuash, the Ma'am, and the Ashimum, and Chanabat Zimafega, thank you so much. Dedicated in loving memory of Lunishmat, Meir, Ben Abraham, Hanulad Min Sarah. We will always remember his strength, warm character, kind heart, and devotion to his family. May his neshama have the highest aliyah shamayim by his grandchildren, Miriam and David Azakashvili. Uh, week of Kobru is sponsored by David E. Ash. Uh, my friends, we also uh, would like to uh, wish Maris Dahan uh, a happy birthday um, and many, many more happy and healthy years. Me'ata ba'ad olam. Okay. Let us begin. I forgot the uh, other, uh, the other microphone. Okay. So, Pashat deals with the obligation that we have and the zechut that we have to be able to build a temple, a resting place, a sanctuary for God. And as we mentioned uh, yesterday, the ideas that are mentioned in this uh, in this uh, blueprint. To build the sanctuary are not only to be able to build the actual physical sanctuary, but one that actually builds a presence for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, no matter where it is, no matter where we are uh, during, the, during our lifetime. Uh, now, if this is a blueprint, then we understand that each one of these elements in the uh, story of Tirumah, whether it's the Kelim, whether it's the uh, elements that are the makeup of the kelim. So what what goes into each one of these vessels, right? All of these things are meant to be teaching you lessons in understanding how to uh, how to bring this shechina, how to bring God's presence here to earth. So I wanted to take a look at one of those with you today. Please only answer, man. If you're listening to this live, Baruch Nice and hot. Okay. Says the Gemara. On the Pasuk, um, the, the Pasuk says, V'tzipita otam zahav tahor, mibayit umichutz, v'asita alav zeh zahav saviv. There's different vessels in the Mikdash, and each one of three of them have a crown upon them. V'asita zeh zahav misaviv, and you will make a golden crown at the top. So imagine if you have the table alongside the crown, alongside the, t- the edge of the table, is like a, uh, the, a ribbed uh, standing higher above the edge of the table. And that kind of surrounds the Mizbeach like a crown. Says the uh, Gemara, Amar Yochanan, this crown that they uh, were obligated to make for the Kelim. There are three crowns. Shil Mizbeach, Vishil Aron, Vishil Shulchan. One was the Mizbeach, one is the Aaron, and one is the Shulchan. Shel Mizbeach, the crown of the Mizbeach, Zacha Aharon v'Nitelo. Aharon was the one who merited to take that crown for himself. The Mizbeach signifies the sacrifices, signifies the service of the temple. So who has the service in the temple? Belongs to the Kohanim. So Aharon got that crown. Shel Shulchan, Zacha David v'Nitelo. David HaMelech, was the one that managed to obtain the crown surrounding the Shulchan. What exactly that means is beyond the scope 
of today's class. Why the Shulchan? Why did David get that? What does it represent? We're going to leave that for now. Shel Aaron, however, the Gemara continues and says, the crown of the Aaron, Adain Munachu, the Omed Lechol Israel. It is Munach, which means it is resting in a place, the Omed, and it waits. The Kol Yisrael, this crown waits for every Jew. Kol Litol, anyone who wants to take this crown, the crown of the Aaron, Yavov Yitol, let him come and take it. Shema Tomar, Keter Torah, Pachotu Mishinehem. Maybe you'll think, okay, you know why this crown was not taken by Aaron or taken by David? Because uh, it's the lesser of, or the least of the three crowns. Maybe that's why it wasn't taken. Shema Tomar, Keter Torah, Pachotu Mishinehem. It's less than the others. Talmud Lomar, the Pasuk says, Bi Melachim Yimlochu. Through me, kings get king get kingship. Be sarim yashuru sarim yashuru. Through me, uh, the, these uh, 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 princes will be able to have elements of leadership. So, in each of these two cases, the pasuk in Mishle is telling us, as the Gemara Yoma, that those are dependent; those are uh, uh, subservient to the crown of Torah. So the highest of the crowns is which? The crown of Torah, which is represented by the Aaron. Why? What's in the Aaron? The Luchot, okay? According to one opinion, also the Sefer Torah, the Moshe Rabbeinu wrote, okay? So we know that the Aaron represents the Torah. The crown of Torah is the one that was not taken. Why wasn't it taken by Aaron or David? Because no great person no great tzaddik could take the crown of Torah. It belongs to every Jew. It's munach ve'omer. It sits and it waits for every Jew to come and to be able to take it. Now the question is asked, Otsurat Torah brings it down very beautifully. It says, it makes it sound like, you know, there's something sitting there. I don't know if you ever, you ever go to one of those hotel rooms, there's a chocolate on the pillow, right? I don't know if it's always kosher, gotta check, right? Chocolate on the pillow. How much effort does it take to take that chocolate? Almost none. You're getting it to bed, it's right there, you grab it. The Gemara, the, the, the uh, Gemara makes it sound like the crown of Torah. Yeah, it's just sitting there. Like, you know, go grab it, no problem. That's what it takes to grab the crown of Torah. Is, that, is it actually like that? That it's sitting there waiting for anyone to take? What is this idea that the crown of Torah is so accessible? So he brings an amazing answer to this question, which I think is a beautiful lesson to all of us, uh, each and every one according to their uh, level. The Gemara tells us in Kitubot, the story of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was a shepherd who's 40 years old already. He doesn't know a word of Torah. This guy knows nothing. Not only that, very antagonistic towards religion and towards Chachamim. Yamara quotes Rabbi Akiva, who said, show me a Talmud Chacham, and I'll bite him like a donkey. Rabbi Akiva is therefore obviously very removed from Torah study. There's a very, very wealthy man, whose name is Ben, Ben Kalba Savua, the son of a satiated dog. Strange name. Gemara says, why was he called that? Because he was such a big Baal Tzedakah, 
that people would come to his house starving like a wild dog and they would leave completely full. That was the word on the street. Anyone that needs to eat, any poor person, could eat in the house of Ben Kalba Savwa. So he's one of the wealthiest Jews. He's in fact recounted in the Gemara Gitin as one of the three wealthiest Jews in, uh, in the time of the destruction of the, of the temple. Anyway, so he has one daughter, or he has a daughter. The daughter of Ben Kalba Savoy is called Rachel. Bria is Reb Meir's wife. Her name is Rachel. Rachel is a very righteous woman. This woman, Rachel, not only is she righteous, she's a, a very, the most eligible bachelorette. She's daughter of one of the most wealthy and respected Jews in, in the world. Anyway, I'm sure the Shiduchim list was uh, flowing very, uh, very nicely. She comes across this poor shepherd who knows nothing. But in the language of the Gemara, she saw that he was tsanua, umali, that he had good attributes and he was modest. Amralo, she said to him, if I marry you, would you go and learn in the Bet Midrash? Would you go study Torah? He said, yes. They got married quietly, okay? And, um, and she sent him to learn. Her father finds out about this, goes ballistic, and disowns his daughter, cuts her off, and makes an oath. He swears that he's never going to support or give anything to his daughter and his new... Uh, 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 eloped son-in-law, okay? That they got married in private, that the guy is now uh, somewhere else learning whatever he's doing, but he's a nobody. She married, she was royalty, she married nobody. So she becomes, uh, she descends into abject poverty, uh, married to Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva goes, and, uh, and, she stu- and he studies off for 12 years straight. His wife is home, he's studying, uh, in yeshiva for 12 years. Doesn't come home. He comes home after 12 years, hailed the conquering hero, return of the prodigal son, with 12,000 students. He comes home and he hears his wife having a conversation in his house with an elderly woman. And this woman tells this, uh, the girl, until when are you going to be here like a living like a living almana, like a living widow. Your husband's off, you know, 12 years. She said to this uh, elderly person, if my husband could hear me now, Haiti I would tell him, he should learn for another 12 years. Rabbi Akiva hears what she said, turns around, you turn, Goes back to yeshiva. He comes back after another 12 years with 24,000 students. Right? Now, all the commentators ask the same question. Would it have killed him to go home for lunch? Go home, say hello, goodbye, and then, you know, and go back. And the famous idea that's brought down in the commentators is a powerful one. A very, very powerful idea. But in order to understand that idea, I want to ask a question first. When Rabbi Akiva comes back with the 24,000 students at the end of this 
extended period of time. This man, Ben Kalba Savua, cannot understand who's coming towards him. Who's this rabbi with all of these students? And he goes out to greet this big rabbi. And who does it turn out to be? His son-in-law. The one that he wrote off. The one that he told his daughter not to marry. The one that he cut, cut out of the will. He's kissing his, uh, his feet now. <clears throat> and he says, I want to make hatarat nedarim. I want to undo my neder. And what do I say to him? If you would have known that this is what he would have become, would you have made the neder? Or were you making this neder because you thought the guy was going to die, a shepherd? I'm aretz. He says, if I would have known this, I would not have made the neder. What did they do? They gave him hatarat nedarim, mutarim lachem, mutarim lachem, mutarim lachem. And Rabbi Akiva became a very wealthy person. Because now he, uh, he was back in the, in the game. They, he was now supporting them. Uh, when he passes away, all that transfers to Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva is very wealthy now. Ask Tosafot. Listen to this. Tosafot says, I don't understand. How did the rabbis undo the neder? There's a law in Nedarim that when you're undoing a neder, it has to be that you're basing the reason why you're undoing the neder on something that already exists. Something which is nolad, which is new, a new equation that came about, you can't include that in Hatarat Nedarim. Why? Because that exclusion option was not around when the person made the neder. So in other words, if something exists but I didn't take it into account, that means that at the time of the neder, if I would have known this, then I wouldn't have made the neder. That means there was a get-out clause in my oath, in my swear, in my promise, already when I made it. But if something new comes about, and I'm already locked into the neder, you can't undo the neder based on new information. It's nolad. So he says, Estosafot, I don't understand. This rabbi, this Rabbi Akiva, he became something new when he went to yeshiva. That didn't exist before. This Talmid Chacham did not exist. That's something new. How did they undo his neder? with this new object. Listen to the words of Tosafot. It's not considered something that was created, something that was born. Since he went to yeshiva, because it is the way of one who goes to study, that he becomes a great man. Tosafot says, this thing that Rabbi Akiva became a great leader, a great Talmud Chacham, that was not something that didn't exist before. That's not something new in the equation. That's not something surprising. It is the way of those who go to study to become great. Now the commentators asked on Tosafot, look, I know a lot of people who went to study who did not become great. You're making it sound like this was a foregone conclusion. Like this eventuality existed already back then. Why? Because he went to yeshiva. Everyone who goes to learn becomes a great person. Really? Listen carefully. Why did Rabbi Akiva walk through the doors of his house? <sighs> the idea, the famous concept was brought, the answer to this was brought from Rav Chaim Shmulevitz. He says... The reason why Rabbi Akiva didn't go home is because then he would have studied 12 years 
and 12 years in yeshiva. But because he didn't go home, how long did he study in yeshiva for? 24 years. And 12 plus 12 is not the same as 24. And he says, and let me give you an example. Fascinating example he gives. He says, imagine you have in your house a kettle uh, that you're going to boil water on. And how long does it take at top uh, whack for this kettle to boil water? It takes 15 minutes to boil the water. Okay? Imagine a guy boils the water in this kettle for 14 minutes a thousand times. Not one time does he manage to get the kettle to a boil. Not once. Why? Because even though there's 14 minutes and 14 minutes and 14 minutes and 14 minutes and 14 minutes, there's a certain amount of time that accomplishes something. And if you didn't do it in a row, then it didn't, it didn't get it done. Now, my friends, this is not to say that if you didn't study 24 years in yeshiva, you did nothing. At 14 minutes, the water might not be boiling, but it's pretty hot. You did something. It's not like you did nothing. But in terms of becoming Rabbi Akiva, you needed to have the consistency without a break, without even one small break in that 24, 000, in that 24 years, which yields 24,000 students which yields the halakha that we mentioned yesterday in our Gemara class, that it's Rabbi Akiva Mechavero, that in every disagreement between Rabbi Akiva and anybody, we always rule like Rabbi Akiva. When did he merit that level of greatness? When did he become this person that Moshe Rabbeinu looks at and says, this guy, Hashem, you should really give the Torah to him, not to me, to bring to the Jewish people. What gave him that? What gave him that was what's called Ritzifut, consistency. Commitment and consistency. Our Chachamim are telling us something over here which is incredibly important. When Rabbi Akiva went to Yeshiva with the mindset, not I'm going for a week, not I'm going for a year, but I'm going for 12 years. And then he gets back and finds that, you know something, his wife doesn't need him home. He's going back in. That level of commitment and consistency doesn't produce something surprising. It's not miraculous. It's not surprising. It's not outstanding. The nature of that commitment is that it creates something. An Adam Gadol. Now my friends, for me and you, I don't think the answer maybe is 24, 24 years without coming home. You know? I also don't think that we're married to women that if we came back after 12 years would say he could go for another 12 years. Or if they say he could go for another 12 years, they mean it very differently. Yeah, yeah. let him go for another 12 years. You know? My friends, but the idea of Ritzifut is absolutely here. And that's what it means, that the crown of Torah is Munach Leomed. It waits for every Jew. For a Jew that has Jewish education, for a Jew that went to Yeshiva, for a Jew that went to Kolel, but also for a Jew that went to public school. For a Jew that grew up not even knowing he was Jewish. For a Jew that grew up, grew up knowing he was Jewish, but didn't know that there was a difference between being Jewish and not being Jewish. The crown of Torah is there. Come and take it. My friends, I want to ask you a basic question. What is the crown of Torah? What is this thing that is accessible to everybody? What are we talking about? 
the crown of Torah, well, let's try and understand what is a crown in general. A king is a king with or without their crown. What does the crown do for the king? It's a symbol that shows other people that this person has powers within him to be able to run the country. That is what a crown is. The crown of Torah says to the world that this is a person who has studied Torah, who has been made strong by Torah. He wears its benefits, its values, its, uh, uh, its enhancements in his day-to-day life, in the way that he thinks, in the way that he acts. That is the keter of Torah. A person who is crowned with having learned, having studied Torah, having grown from sitting and studying with Talmidei Chachamim. My friends, the crown of Torah is for everybody. But what we need in order to have that crown is one thing. Anyone can have it with one condition. That there's a consistency to your learning. Al Chachamim tell us that when we get to Shamaim, heaven's going to ask us, Kavata itim la Torah. Did you set aside time to learn Torah? Now, there's different ways to do that. One way is to decide, every day I'm going to learn a certain amount of time. But our Chachamim tell us that actually, more than just saying I'm going to learn for five minutes a day, ten minutes a day, an hour a day, breakfast in the class, Gemara class, Halakha Yomi, Mishnah Yomi, whatever you're going to do, is to set aside a set time in your day where you have an anchor of Torah, and that five minutes or ten minutes or one hour, whatever you've got, does not move for anything. That consistency is the key to acquiring Torah, to becoming a righteous person, to getting the blessing of the crown of Torah. So my friends, if you then become great, then you know what? It's not nolad that something new was born, rather, that something that was always there is revealed. I don't know if you've ever had the chance to be able to uh, build a fire, but there's a, something which is a tremendous amount of fun to use that they used to have in front of some of the fireplaces. It's called a bellows. It's uh, two handles with almost like an accordion, uh, you know, uh, attached to it. A little hole on the other side opens wide. <sighs> and the fire grows. I remember once, I'm a little bit lazy. I didn't want to have to fan the fire. I didn't want to have to bellows. So I did something which is amazing fun if you're a pyromaniac like me. Anyone here have an air mattress at home? Do you know the thing that the air mattress comes with? I basically took this out to my campfire outside behind my house, plugged it in, It's blowing, just pumping air to the bottom of this fire. The fire was raging. Now, I don't know if you have a blower-upper, you know, an electronic blower-upper. But even fanning the flames with a plate is enough. Uh, You know, a, a sign from the breakfast in the class, even more. A big cardboard box, even more. But... You can't say to the fire, I'm going to fan you a lot in these 10 minutes, you know, and then I'm going to fan you again in an hour. 
Because by the time you get to the hour, the fire's died down completely. And then to rebuild a fire is such an effort. My friends, you have time in your day. You have things that you're trying to accomplish with your life. Your parnasah, your family, everything. All these things. I can promise you one thing. Taking time out and setting that time for Torah is not going to cost you the success in the other areas. It will magnify the success in the other areas. You'll become a better businessman, a better father, a better partner. You'll become a better person in every, by every metric. If you're spending that time in Torah, you are investing in yourself. And having something that doesn't move no matter what anchors that Torah. And that consistency reveals something very powerful that's already inside of you. That is the crown of Torah, my friends. Hashem should bless us that we should be zocheh, be'ezat Hashem. We should be zocheh to find a way um, to incorporate the greatness of Torah in our life. Yavov yitol, it's a crown that is sitting there waiting for everyone and anyone to claim. And you know something, you have a guy who never studied Gemara, joins a Gemara class. Next thing you know, you finish three Masechtot, four Masechtot, five Masechtot, I'll tell you something. There are guys that will sit in this class and they will come to it again day after day, week after week, etc., etc., who will finish Masechtot and they will finish more Masechtot than some guys that study in Yeshiva. And the reason is because they're set in their ways they're dedicated with a goal. They're trying to get somewhere. They're trying to achieve a specific thing. And my friends, ultimately, they arrive at that destination. And you'll see, you'll notice it in your life. You'll witness that what will seem to be something miraculous, that you don't even feel like you could read it. You don't even feel like you could understand it. And then suddenly, it just becomes a part of you. And you get it, and you remember it, and you're quoting pieces from it. That miracle is not actually, as we saw in Rabbi Akiva's case, a miracle, but it is the greatness inside of you revealed. Your neshama, when you were born, has every word of Torah emblazoned upon its consciousness. You were taught every word of Torah by the malach. You were then caused to forget it, to go and find it again for yourself. But when you find it, it's not finding it for the first time. It's finding it again. It's recognizing it again. It's waking it up again. That greatness, that wisdom is already inside of you. All you need to do is to wake it up by saying those words, by committing with consistency and commitment to study Torah each and every day. We are lucky to have a breakfast in the class group of people around the world of every stripe and type, of, from every background. And, and and it is a group of people that is incredibly dedicated to the point that if for whatever reason I can't make it one day, someone will message me, Rabbi, I missed the class today. Where were you? But don't worry. I went back to Spotify or to iTorah. I went to last year, Parashat Tirumah. And I re-listened to this. Maybe you could answer this question on the class you asked, said last year. I was like, who do you think I am? <laughs> I remember the class I gave. Someone will answer your question on a class I gave five years ago. I, I love you, you know what I mean? And I love that you think that I know everything that I ever said off by heart. All you need to do is say, it was this class by that title. <laughs> like, 
I need a little bit more information uh, than that to try and help you, right? But we're, we're part of something special. And Be'ezat Hashem, as Am Yisrael grows, you have a guy like Shuli Borenstein with tens of thousands of people. A guy like Eli Stefanski with tens of thousands of people studying Gemara every day. People studying Daf Yomi. Join the ranks. Be someone special. It's not something you need to become. It's something you just need to uncover inside of yourself. And Be'ezat Hashem, we will get the crown and the blessings that come with the crown of Torah. Bekarov Mamash. Baruch